Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment program in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today I've got Opal co-founders Kara Bazzi and Julie Church here in the studio with me to discuss some of our favorite and not-so-favorite food memories. Julie, can you explain sort of the context of this conversation and how it sometimes comes up at Opal? Yeah, I'd love to. In Nutrition Education Group, which usually is a couple dietitians that lead it, myself and Elizabeth is the other dietitian right now, and we will have this as be one of the exercises that we'll do in there, and we just give each client a handout that has about 12 questions. The initial prompt is, what is a food or a meal or a recipe that has significance to you? And then they just have some time to reflect and answer these questions and prompts, and then it's just an open sharing time. Why why is it important to talk about the memories around it? So I find that especially in the intense work that people are doing in eating disorder recovery, food and eating can become it's it's hard. It's yeah, hard work. Laborious. It's like so yeah. hard. And this usually is a bit of a stepping back and the way that these clients are connecting with each other around food at mealtimes and in these intense moments as they're being faced with challenging foods and all these moments of facing the real stuff of recovery, this is a stepping back and they just get to connect with each other about a story that reminds them of their grandma or the food that takes them back to when they first learned to cook or something. And it's really, really a beautiful time for them to connect around food in a different way than they do, you know, the five times a day in treatment. Mm Mm-hmm. In general, in culture, when you're hearing people talk about food, mostly they're not saying a lot of positive Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. So it's cool to just kind of hone in on the beautiful memories around it, which is what we're doing today. Yeah, I know. And and it is. It's these significance can be both difficult and really beautiful and positive. And so people share in both veins, but it's something that's meaningful to them. And it's a it's a memory um, that has stuck with them and. Uh, so I, I think in that, too, it just allows us to know people more. And mm-hmm. yeah. I appreciate you saying that it can be difficult mm-hmm. and nice mm-hmm. to be able to be tucked into the memory in some yeah. way because it can be really complicated. I was just thinking about food writing in general, which is my favorite genre of reading. <laughs> and people, um, one of my favorite writers um, in the food memoir category is Molly Weisenberg, who mm-hmm. does um, her first memoir was about Uh, sort of these stories and recipes around food that were all reminders of her dad who had passed away. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to go through some of the the grief of that process by talking Mm -hmm. about each recipe Mm -hmm. and the beauty and obviously Mm -hmm. the hard stuff too. Mm -hmm. But you guys and Ami, what what about your memories? Kara, can you you start us off? What did you find significant food-wise? Yes. When we first talked about this topic, a food immediately came to mind, a positive food memory, and it's of carrot casserole and don't think vegetable. Oh. <laughs> think, I know. It is, it's, it's one of those like hidden vegetable type casseroles, right? So it's buttery, cinnamon, pureed carrot in a casserole, right? So it's like um, this moist almost cake. Bread pudding-ish kind Bread of? pudding-ish. Thank you, Julie. Oh. Yes, very Midwestern. Mm-hmm. Julie's from the Midwest. Yes. So she is my right mom's family. <laughs> okay. So this is this has come from my Midwestern Norwegian roots of 
my grandma and grandpa and then passed to my mom, passed into all of our traditions and now even passed into my in-laws and my children. So this is like very across the span of generations in my family of the love of carrot casserole. So it comes into every holiday and it's now been integrated into birthday parties because everyone requests it. What does it taste like? Well, bread pudding actually is a good word. I wouldn't say it's as moist as bread pudding. It probably has a little bit more of a cake-like texture, but it's, gosh, the flavor is just yummy goodness. It's (laughs) warm, and I really think of, like, cinnamon. I feel like that flavor comes through. Like, if I just ate it, I wouldn't necessarily think carrot. So, I mean, it does have carrots, but um, (laughs) it's more, I don't know, it's just good. My kids, yeah, they're always asking for it. My mom always makes like extra to have for leftovers for us. She's very generous about it. She's willing to make it. I think that's the other thing. It's just like an act of generosity from my mom. She is always up for making it if anyone requests it and then make sure like we get the leftovers. <laughs> Did carrot casserole hold that special space with your mom's cooking generosity or which was she like that with all sorts of foods? Well, she had her favorites. I think she, it's interesting because growing up, my, uh, we have a very small extended family. And so she's an only child. And then my dad had um, one brother and his wife was like the gourmet cook. And so my mom always had a little bit of intimidation in the family meals because my aunt was this gourmet person. And so my mom had her a few dishes that everyone just really loved and, my mom is so hospitable and very, she's just giving. And so I think because it was paired with confidence of these dishes, then I can think of a few, but carrot casserole is a staple. Yeah. And they're all very Midwestern, the ones that she would Hmm. bring to all the holiday events. I have to clarify, does it have marshmallows in it? No. Okay. Just wanted to know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but her other one, that's the, the other so one cran, I have. The cranberry salad, again, you hear that and you're like, cranberry salad. It's not a salad. Oh, but okay, it has Cool Whip. <laughs> so Cool Whip is a staple yes. for Midwestern mm-hmm. casseroles. That one is another. And it has saltine crackers mm-hmm. with the cranberry and tons of Cool Whip. So it's like everything gets absorbed. So then the saltine crackers makes like the kind of salty taste, but it's absorbed. So it tastes like a cake. It's so, it, it doesn't sound like it would be good, okay. but it's okay. delish. It's so funny when, with the word casserole or salad <laughs> right. attached to these foods, I'm thinking like, that sounds like a cobbler with salt in it. Yeah. Or like uh, your casserole's like a bread pudding. Or yeah. when you first said carrot casserole, I was You're thinking, like, well, I was thinking of like long, totally. slender no. slices of no, no, carrot no, 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 no. baked with Breadcrumbs uh, all over it. No. Which sounds kind of like that I could mean, be good. That, yeah. yeah. But this be. is a whole. This is comfort food. It's right? warm, warm, and like yeah. rich, and just that kind of yummy. I mean, it was originally yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas, and what, now it's you know can come into summer birthdays. What's it like mm. for you to watch your children eat it? It's fun. I think you know, for me, the warmth of the connecting of generations is really sweet, and especially that the in-laws have adapted it because they're also <laughs> yeah. big foodies. You know, it wouldn't be something I would think that they would love, to be honest, but they've adopted it, so that's fun. Transcends food yes. judgments, <laughs> yes, <laughs> her yeah, particularities. Totally, yeah, it get, yeah, it transcends particularities, and I think that makes it feel really connected relationally. 
And, you know, I just don't know. I can't think of a family member that doesn't like it. I wish we had brought these foods. Oh. When we did the episode with Mark Canlis and we were talking yes. a little bit about food memory, we had the food on the table between us, and I'm regretting this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I want to hear yours. Okay. Yeah. You go next, Carter. Um, you know, you were just talking about this food that you've had around for a long time, and I was noticing that the food that I had thought of is not that it doesn't Old have a very long yeah it doesn't have a long history. In part, that might be because I'm a vegetarian that mm. I've maybe like lost. I didn't, maybe should reconsider this. <laughs> I eat some of my mom's recipes. She made a lot of chicken when I was a mm, kid. But yeah. when I was in college, I had a sort of strange college experience, and that I went to actually three different places for college. In the middle there for two years, I was living in Greece, and it wasn't a traditional college at all, but those were my college years. And I came home for chunks of time that were sort of out of the norm where people wouldn't really be home. And I have two siblings. I'm in the middle. And neither of them were home. So it was just me and my parents. And that was a very new experience for me. And there was one day, I don't know why, but my dad and I decided that we would cook a lot that day. And we both really like to cook. And he is a foodie. And he's also very scientific about everything. He's in the science world, so he like is... Like gastro stuff? Isn't that like one yes. of those science-y things? Yes. Of food? He's, <laughs> like he's that. Not, he likes kind of some more... He, he's not trying to go for something too edgy, okay. but he's like a surgeon in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. He's not interested in sort of like, oh, just like throw a little of that, throw... That's yeah. my, or my mom. Maybe more the food chemistry, food yes, science. exactly. Exactly. So he gets like Cook's Magazine and Savor, which mm-hmm. are way more oh, yeah. technical... And he had gone through the magazine and pulled recipe after recipe one day of all these, like, classic Italian dishes. And he's like, we've got to make them. And I was like, okay. So we just spent an entire Saturday, Sunday, I presume, just cooking these Italian dishes, like, large quantities. And one in particular was so – just really stuck in my mind. It's fennel boiled in cream Mm. and milk. And it's – I had never had fennel before. I think in Italian it's called finocchio al forno is the dish. And Mm. it is thin slices of it, boiled in milk so it gets soft, and then baked in a casserole dish (laughs) with more cream, all the fennel fronds over it, and then so much Parmesan cheese baked in the oven until— My mouth is watering. I know. It's so good. It's so good. The smell. I love fennel. Yes. It was this like—I think that's why it stuck with me so much because I think for almost an hour the fennel was just boiling in milk on the stove in the kitchen. So it it perfumed the entire house, Mm -hmm. and I loved it and thought, gosh, I had no idea I would like fennel of all things. Didn't have it that much until— well, I hadn't had nothing like that for a long time, but had some more fennel when I guess when I worked in the restaurant industry more. And suddenly about three years ago, there was a Thanksgiving dinner that I was having with just with my boyfriend and two family friends. It was going to be really intimate. And I thought, I got to I got to make that dish again. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it came from. And it just came to me. And I got so excited and made it. And my boyfriend got really excited about it. And the older couple that we were cooking for were like, eh, I don't know, mm. but they loved it. Yeah. And then <laughs> we'd made it again and again. Mm. And it, it it was such a special thing, I think, to intentionally bring something from my family into my present day because I live on a different coast. Mm. And it was a really thoughtful, intentional thing that I could do to be connected to my dad and to my family from afar. Cool. So 
That's my mm-hmm. food. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Immigrating your two worlds in some exactly. ways, right? Yeah. yeah. That's and, awesome. And taking a dish that I can sort of say, like, oh, this is mine. You know, yeah. like, as an adult, this is mine now. Mm-hmm. I told my dad that, and he was like, how did you remember that dish? <laughs> well, Stand out. you should revisit it because it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> how would you describe it? What are the Well, I don't know words. if you guys have had fennel before. Mm-hmm. It's so bright and sweet, and it's not a very vegetal vegetable to me. And that's, I feel like surprising it's so crisp and refreshing but when you boil that with milk it's like this sort of sexy flavor I don't know how to describe it because Mm. it's so fragrant it's like you know Cleopatra certainly would bathe in that you know it's just nice imagery yeah she she took like milk baths but I think she really would have loved like a fennel milk bath I'm sure there were <laughs> lavender ones, fennel totally. ones. Yeah. Man, so we're going it's to good. some good places in our <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. But it, it's okay. that plus the sort of like umami, salty, chewy Parmesan all yeah. over it. It's yeah. so good. I love Parmesan. I do too. Mm. It's so good. I would mm. highly recommend. Yeah. You're making me want to try it sometime. Yeah. We should Maybe make it. you can make it for us. Maybe I should. Carter. Yeah. <laughs> I, my mouth is very it's watering. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, what is yeah. what would you say is your kind of one of your favorite food memories? Well, in preparation for this, the thing that I could not stop thinking about were just raspberries fresh off the bush. And we're in the midst of summer as we're recording this. So I think they are blooming around us here. And I recently had an experience with my four-year-old that he was, I was picking him up at a play date. And this family had this gorgeous bush that was overflowing. And the family was like, we just can't keep up with it. And so he just was going <laughs> after. And I was like, I kept on saying, no, no, no. It's, well, maybe, you know, let's save some for them. And and he's like, just a few more. And I'm like, okay. And they're watching him and they're not stopping him. I'm like, okay, great. Um, But I, yes, I have memories of doing that in the summers in Wisconsin with my best friend's family, as well as my mom and my brother are two different memories. But it was definitely every year that we would go drive out these country roads to get there. Not very far. I mean, I lived more in rural Wisconsin, so it's not that far, but distinctly remember kind of the direction of where it was and as well as having neighborhood bushes, like mm-hmm. down just right behind my best friend's family's house, there was a little patch that we would mm-hmm. always go to at a particular time of the year and pick them and enjoy them. So the warmth of them. And even just this week, that's the last time I had them, of course, and then, <laughs> um, was this week in the midst of the, the season right now. And uh, I had them in a container in the refrigerator to kind of stay fresh. But then I took them with me to the pool and like had them in the car and left them in the car. And then... I left them in the car, <laughs> and then I got to pull them out, and they were hot. Like, mm-hmm. the sun had been beating on them, and it was exactly right. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly right, the taste. Oh, so the so, temperature mm, matters. The temperature it matters. totally <laughs> matters. And and the th- I'll say this. The ones that I was eating were not fresh off the vine or bush. I mean, they were purchased at the grocery store and grew in California. You know, like, uh, nothing fancy there, right? But taking those that I would say wouldn't taste it as good, but getting yeah. them stuck in the car for a little while. <laughs> Did Life it. Hack. It yeah. worked. But maybe I could just put it on my back deck in the in the sun too. But yeah. So mm. yeah, I like I love that connecting it to being outdoors and significant memories with my best friend and my mom and. And then the other, like, making things of it, I remember in an anthropology class in college that I was asked, what's your favorite food? And I remember saying raspberry preserves. 
like distinctly remember saying that <laughs> in this class. And so I do know that things with raspberries always get me excited too. Mm-hmm. So raspberries would have went out over all the berries. Yes. You look no so question. Uh, <laughs> certain certainty here. Uh-huh. She just stared me down. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, great. Oh, that I love, <laughs> I love how so each of ours are so like so different. Like I, you said it, and then immediately I'm like, oh, that's so simple. You know, I love it. Yeah. Each of them evokes such a different thing. Such so a different cool. thing. I know. Yes. It's fun to talk about. Huh? Yeah. 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 There's just, I feel like once you open up the conversation in such a sensory yes. focused way, I like all of us seem to be tapped into something different yes. right now, which is really cool. And I have to note, these are the kind of food conversations that are pleasurable because there's a yes. lot of times people talk about food that I just find it so incredibly boring. But connecting it to these memories and you're more known in hearing these stories. Yes. Isn't that, isn't that special? Like, I have you had those experiences too where people are talking about food and it's just, there's no depth to it? Give an example. I don't know where people, well, probably more around like, what are good things to be eating? What's healthy to be eating? What would be good for my body? I mean, that kind of stuff to me, I just, I'm so bored by. But this is like, oh, it's so neat to connect to these stories in your guys' lives. Yes. The pleasure factor is high. And like you're saying, the sensory, the pleasure of the sensory and the Mm -hmm. way that you're talking about food is just so much different than the typical food talk. And when people are talking about sort of good or bad or have some sort of judgment about food or concern about food, that never feels like an inviting conversation. Yeah. If it is, it's sort of like let's compare notes on yeah. what – Competitive. Yeah. It can be competitive or disordered or shaming or, or – looking for something indirectly yeah. from the other person. I don't mm-hmm. know. So I like it. But – I am going to ask a heavier question. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, because I know that a lot of our listeners maybe don't have exclusively positive memories or even a majority positive memories or access to that in some ways. And neither do we. Mm-hmm. I think we all probably have experiences with foods that have been more challenging. Do either of you have a food that comes to mind that is maybe more difficult for you? Even in light of what we were just talking about, I think as I have just matured in my career and have had obviously countless conversations around food as a dietitian. I've grown in my own insight, of course, in terms of different relationships I've had with different foods. And I very distinctly remember in my teen years into my young adulthood saying that I didn't like pizza. I now eat pizza (laughs) and have enjoyable experiences with pizza. And I think as I kind of grew into that as an adult, realizing that like, oh, look at that, like I'm eating pizza, remembering, wow, I used to say I didn't like pizza. And I have unpacked that over the years to kind of understand that. I do think that there are some elements to what pizza is that I don't prefer. So like, yeah, maybe... It, that's hard. I think there are certain types of pizzas I don't prefer. So, you know, there's all sorts of different kinds of pizzas out there, right? You got the Chicago deep dish. You've got the, you know, frozen pizza thin crust. You've got the thick crusted delivery pizza, the Domino Pizza Hut kind of thing. And then you've got the wood fire thin crust pizza that's hot out of the oven. I don't know. Am I missing any kinds? Yeah, there are a lot. lot. Right? (laughs) So, okay. So there's so many different kinds. But I think that uniformly I was kind of served the same kind of pizza at at that stage in my life. So I think if I look back, I still don't prefer that kind of pizza. But 
in my experience of it, I remember putting some blame on tomato sauce, okay, in that I don't like it. And knowing that I actually, when I have a big amount of tomato sauce, my body doesn't feel great. Like I don't digest it that well. I get acid reflux. I Yeah, it just doesn't totally work. And so I continue to say, yeah, I don't prefer tomato sauce-based things, right? So there's some things about the type of pizza I was served, maybe some of the ingredients, you know, that maybe sync up with, like, I don't like it. But I also have reflected on the fact that pizza is a really commonly served food when you're a teenager into young adulthood. It's affordable. It's easily accessible. It's really affordable because you get it free a lot in that Mm -hmm. season of your life because people bring pizza to every function. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just can't help but think that in some of that, I was getting some reward of rejecting that pizza Mm -hmm. and saying no to the pizza. And so even though I wouldn't have said in any season of my life that I had an eating disorder, I, I still think like there was something going on there of this twinge of reward and satisfaction of like not eating it and saying I don't like it that I just kind of want to call BS on a little bit. Sure, maybe didn't like some of it, right? But yeah. I also could have easily eaten it. Mm-hmm. This is what I've told my clients for years. Now it's like eat it for function. I don't I, mean, I don't remember going under underfed, but even in that moment, Julie, like just eat the pizza. Like why wouldn't you just eat the pizza? So the, Yeah, that's so funny. I actually said the same things about pizza when I was a kid. Hmm. And you talking about it, it's like all these memories are coming back. And when I think about it, I wonder if there's also not necessarily a reward around like body image or, oh, wow, look at you. You're not having pizza, but like reward and even being different or Mm -hmm. like being like, I didn't like being in those groups of people most of the time (laughs) when we were being served pizza. So it felt maybe good. I don't know if you would feel that way, too, of just being like, no, not interested. Or maybe being different, setting yourself apart. I know. I, don't know. I, I think all of it's possible. Like yeah. I, I feel more strongly about it in college, and that was a socially challenging time for me. College is not my highlight of life. Go back to high school, more of a highlight of the young, you know, like growing up. College wasn't. So I could see that in that season if there was something to set me apart or something to get a twinge of – superiority or attention or something, I could have been trying to Mm -hmm. use food or use my relationship with food for that, for that means. How did you move away from disliking it? I don't totally remember, but I guess I would just say that I think that some of my value around functionality of food and just eating and being nourished, probably some economic benefit too of when I free food, why not say it? I mean, I I like free food just like anyone. Uh, I don't know. So, yeah. and then I, I think that the opportunity to taste some different kinds of pizzas and recognizing, oh, I like this maybe versus that. And as I grew up and matured and had opportunities to taste some, live in different parts of the country and be introduced to different foods, I think maybe that also opened my eyes to what is pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's an open-ended question, really. Yeah. Yes. What is it? Ponder. <laughs> Carol, what about you? A food that's been yeah, difficult. Man, okay, well, this, when I think of, of a difficult food for me, I do think about the time in my life when I uh, was in my eating disorder. It's interesting because there was definitely lots of foods I'd binge on. But I think symbolically, there's something, the first food that came to mind is Costco muffins. It's funny, my heart's starting to race to like start talking about something specific about about that time in my life. But in my eating disorder, I was in a really significant restrict and binge cycle. So I was 
restricting pretty heavily through the day. And then I'd binge um, in the middle of the night in, in secret. And so I don't even remember tasting, you know, what I was eating. And I lived with, gosh, 15 girls in a house and we had communal food and we had our own individual foods. There was a Costco run every week. And so the muffins were part of the communal food. And honestly, like taste wise, I can't even tell you. I was probably eating all of them. <laughs> all three. It's the what? The blueberry, the lemon poppy seed and the maple one. Is there a chocolate no, chip one? Like banana nut. I there's chocolate chocolate. There's cornbread. Yeah. Chocolate <laughs> chip. But I think in Back those then. trays of um, I think that's what I, those are the three I remember is that there was blueberry, right. poppy seed, and then the maple one. And so at that time, yeah, that just was kind of the height of my eating disorder with my binging. And the communal food, again, there was a lot of shame in binging that because I was obviously eating other people's food. And then I also was eating actually their food and, and stealing food at that time too. But I think the muffins probably surfaced because it was a regular part of what was in the kitchen. It's interesting because in my recovery process, when I kind of worked through my relationships with f my fear-based relationships with food and started to really enjoy food and have pleasure with food and put everything back in its rightful place. I mean, I, I never pursued getting Costco muffins. So I, I have my distinct memory of my first time I saw Costco muffins and it was at Opal mm -hmm. because Opal purchases these muffins. And I remember sitting there being like, oh, weird. <laughs> These mean nothing. Like, they mean so much and so nothing to me now. Like, there's, they're not shining with this magic power <laughs> of bigness, right? Of this forbidden food. Like, there's no forbiddenness to it. Like, they're not something that I would even find appealing, but they were just, like, right there. It was, it was so mm. interesting <laughs> to kind of be like, yeah, I used to have a funky relationship with you. Woo. <laughs> like um, seeing an ex-boyfriend. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like the, it wasn't a food that I needed to make peace with and would have regularly because it wasn't something I was, you know, super excited to have. So it's just a funny, like if I'm going to eat Costco muffins now, it would be purely like functional if there isn't something else available. Do you remember a time maybe since that moment at Opal that you have had one? Just at Opal at times, at so Opal. It, literally, if it's like a functional, something needs to happen quickly, I'm running in there, there's nothing else kind of yeah. available. And it's like, Meh. okay, I, w I did pick the maple one. <laughs> it's good to know that you have <laughs> of the slight three, preference. The slight preference what would go maple. What did you think of the flavor this time? It's fine. But it, it's, again, that if I'm going to go with pastries or, you know, it's just like, that's not a pastry I'd pick. So yeah. it's just, it was so fascinating that moment I walked mm -hmm. into Opal and saw that first first box of Costco muffins. How does oh. it, what, what's it like to talk about it? Oh, you know, it's just a story I haven't told. So I think that's the thing that's just interesting, right? Of like kind of getting into specificities about things. Like, sure, I've talked about my eating disorder publicly for a long time, but in doing that, you're, you're not getting into the nitty gritty of some of that stuff. And so I think it's, um, it's, it's actually feels kind of neat to name Again, maybe on the flip side of what we were doing with our positive memories, it feels like it's allowing me to be more known in the room with the two of you. And that feels nice. Yeah. I think our our um, local listenership or Costco 
world people. Sam's Club. <laughs> Sam's Club is a little different. That's oh, is it? like, well, it's not mm. owned by the same people, but it has, so they probably wouldn't have the same muffins because these mm-hmm. Costco muffins are like baked in there and, you know. But I just think there's so many people that'll probably be like, oh, I've thought about those muffins. I just think there's, so I think it's great when you share those specifics, right? Because I think it does allow for people to. And to to really have the experience of remembering not tasting things. Like nothing could satisfy when I was in that, that position of just like being out of control and voracious, right? Like there was nothing that was actually satiating because there was so much that wasn't satiated within me outside of food. And so... They weren't providing the solution that I thought that they could provide. And so to just almost go from like tasteless food to some degree in those binge experiences to then I can taste it now and I just I can have more <laughs> ability to actually relate to it mm-hmm. as a food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the food that I think of is a food that I had to re-encounter at Opal too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. Peanut butter M&Ms. Yeah. And for me, I also struggled a lot with binging and my eating disorder and... I hadn't remembered this part of uh, part of it. I wonder if this has any meaning for me. But I would always walk to the CVS um, mm-hmm. down the street from my parents' house growing up. I would get film developed there that I would take. <laughs> and, um, I don't know what else I'd get, but I'd always get peanut butter M&Ms. And the bags just got bigger and bigger over the years. And I would take them home and I would binge on them. And I'm actually not a big sweets person. The foods that I binge on before, I think I mentioned um, bagels on a different episode. Mm. I love bagels still. And peanut butter M&Ms I like, but I don't love the feel of sweets. But I would buy those and just keep going on them. And so when I showed up at Opal and was working as a milieu therapist, you don't have an office as a milieu therapist. And so you just are in the kitchen. And the kitchen has a huge island going through it covered in candy. Candy (laughs) island. Yep. (laughs) Jars and jars of candy and always a huge jar of peanut butter M&M's. And I hadn't really considered that they had any power anymore. And I didn't look at them and go, oh, my God, like, get those away from me. Um, But I did say, oh, I, you know, probably wouldn't want to have those around every hour of my day. Um, (laughs) Like, that's still a little bit threatening to me, a little bit scary, not because I had judgments about them, but because as I learned later being at Opal, I had never had a season where I'd necessarily normalized them yet. They still had this sort of background power. I wasn't ever having them regularly. And so to have regular access meant that I had them a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. So I was at Opal eating a lot of peanut butter Mm M&Ms, not in a binge way, but just whenever I felt like it. And I felt like it a lot. Mm -hmm. I remember suddenly being like, oh, no, (laughs) like, geez, these still have power Mm -hmm. in some ways because I think I do like them sort of, but not, I don't even know if I do totally. Mm -hmm. But I was, they're they're kind of fun to eat. So Mm -hmm. it was more about like the texture and, it was interesting to watch over the four years at Opal. Like, I don't really, I stopped grabbing them at all. Mm. Not at all. Like, every once in a while, I'd grab some. But, I mean, I was having them a f- multiple times a day for a while and enjoying them. It wasn't, like, a painful experience. I wasn't, like, hungry. Yeah. Um, and sometimes felt like maybe I got to a point of being uncomfortable and wasn't totally listening to my body. But I didn't mind that I was just happy to have some, a lot of peanut butter a lot of peanut butter M&Ms and now it's it's an interesting thing because 
My my boyfriend is obsessed with candy. We're really we have really different palates. So he'll buy me my favorite candy a lot, which is peanut butter M&Ms. And I'm kind of like, okay, you know, like, yeah. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I want some cheese. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Where's like, the cheese? He, he knows that I like that too. But yeah. Um, yeah. it's just, it's Sorry, interesting to see mean. that, like, there really was a period where it still had power. And now mm. I choose really freely. And I it's become a food like every other food where I can stop when I want to and have it when I want to and enjoy it so much more Mm -hmm. in the quantity that makes sense for my body at that time. It's just like such a process. I love hearing about all that. The impact of Candy Island on all of us. (laughs) Which the irony too is that's the one thing I go in for regularly is the peanut. peanut. (laughs) Yeah, that's in the Candy Island. Like that's the thing I would choose. Mm -hmm. So I feel, yeah. More connected now. <laughs> Carter, that's good. Wow. Uh, well, it's... It just goes to show, too, when there's so much... Like, one of the beauties of Opal is there's access to everything. Like, the, right. we have such a variety that um, even with things maybe we didn't know still had some power or still had some something to work through, it's available, and therefore we can we can turn towards that and work. And experiment it's so, cool. so much more. Yeah. Like that seems like like such a cool thing yeah. even even in recovery not buying every single food for yourself naturally um you wouldn't necessarily encounter everything totally. and in a treatment center especially at Opal food is abundant, abundant of all kinds and available yeah. yes i remember one of the things that i um i mean there were so many things i stopped eating in my eating disorder but when I got pregnant, I was craving Pop-Tarts and I just remember going to the grocery store and, and yeah, like it, some of the things, right. That I might just not have bought, but then I, they're back, they're back, they're back. Um, but then things that I might not even know, but then Opal has, <laughs> Opal, Opal probably Costco has it. Happens. Sometimes I look through the bins at Opal just to be like, what kind of food is out there? Cause it's, we have so much it's of a it. good education. <laughs> I'm like, where are those peanut butter cups that Julie bought that oh, I think looked really good. So good. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of options. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Well, thanks so much for sharing those stories. It's yeah. so fun to hear. It's so fun. Yeah. If you want to learn more about Opal, make sure you follow along on social media at Opal Food and Body on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. And if you want to learn more about our programming, visit opalfoodandbody.com. Thank you so much to Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, especially to Daniel, who we never mention, but is the best. Mm. And he's our sound engineer. He helps us out a lot. <laughs> and thank you also to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music and Hans Anderson for editing. Join us next time. Bye.